It was then, and later too, that the Nephilim appeared on earth, when the divine beings cohabitated with the daughters of men who bore them offspring. They were the heroes of old, the men of renown. Genesis 6, 4. I'm Reagan Gilliland. And I'm Stephanie Reed Meyer. And this is the podcast Off Script, where every week we take a deeper dive in the sermon series and talk about what was left off, maybe things that we didn't have enough time to get to. And this week we're excited because we have Reverend Stephanie Reed Meyer on this week. Yay! Yeah, so are you excited to talk about this sermon, Stephanie? so excited that's sarcasm (laughs) so our sermon series is called i'm sorry what i'm sorry what sorry what What? we could just do this for 30 minutes (laughs) um so let's talk about how chris is trying to ruin our lives by making us preach this series 100%. We feel like we should just talk about that. Yeah, Um, it's true. Especially with the rise in COVID, I feel like all of us are like, you okay, bro? Like, we're not going to have to preach for you, right? (laughs) Right? You're okay, right? It's a real fear. I don't don't have time. Literally last Sunday morning, so this Sunday, this past Sunday, I got a text at like 6.45. I just heard it ding. And I was like, if that is Chris or Stephanie saying Oh gosh, I feel sick. I can't come in. <laughs> Just like you're up. <laughs> panic, terror. I'm like, I could maybe throw some sermons together, but probably not, not about in this. this series. Not this sermon series. You could have just read mine. It would be weird reading someone else's sermon, though. I've never done that, but I assume that would be very difficult. Yeah, it's it's kind of like um, you know, on Parks and Recreation when. Uh, Tom has Jerry read his jokes and he's like, oh, you're not even doing the timing right. Like he doesn't know how to read a joke, right? That's how I feel like it would be. But yeah. Um, Okay. So this series is the whole uh, premise is we're looking at some scripture that is challenging, bizarre, really hard. Basically the ones that we skip over a lot that we don't talk about. Yeah, I'm pretty sure none of these are in the lectionary. So Yeah. And there's a reason. Yeah, there's a reason. So what are some of the passages in the Bible that have always been kind of a challenge for you? Yeah, Reagan, there are like five million passages in the Bible that are difficult. So um, Jesus talks about hating your father and your mother. Yeah. Difficult. Difficult. Uh, Ananias and Sapphira. These people in the early church who give up all their stuff and then they're struck dead because they don't give enough of their stuff yeah, to the church. That's scary. I feel like we should preach that for stewardship. Yeah. Nothing like manipulation. (laughs) (laughs) I'm out. You can preach in modern those weeks. Uh, The flood story is hard. I mean, the plagues, all of them, and especially the Old Testament, there's just a lot of war and death and destruction. And a lot of times I'm like, huh, not sure what to do with this. Do you agree? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You named some some big ones for me. Also, just don't like the ones that are like, you should love your enemy. I'm like, (laughs) 
I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't think you meant that. <laughs> like a core part of Christianity. <laughs> right. Difficult. Like, difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm assuming you've never done a series like this before, or have you done something like this with youth before? No, not with youth. So youth have enough questions that just come up naturally. You don't really need a whole series, in my experience, you don't need a whole series geared for it. They're going to ask. But I did, I was thinking about this and I preached in modern worship a few years ago when I was the youth director, I preached one Sunday and the series was Stranger Things. So it was strange stories in the Bible. And I actually preached on the passage in Matthew where the demons are cast out of these people and they're put into pigs oh, and then the pigs edge. run off the cliff. Yeah, yeah. I had to preach on that. No idea what I said. <laughs> I was about to ask you. So what was your lesson? Very meaningful and impactful to a lot of people. <laughs> we had a lot of people come forward that day. <laughs> Not that so. kind of church, Reagan. Uh, <laughs> so I did do that sermon. And then this fall, I did a Bible study on Amy Jill Levine's The Difficult Words of Jesus. Yeah. So we did like the hate your mother and father, like some of those kind of passages were in there. So I've done a little bit about it, but not preached regularly on this topic. Yeah. What about you? What's your experience? Uh, I mean, yeah, we avoid these or. <laughs> right. And rightly so, y'all. Or you're like, hey, I'm going to get this. Or you find a scripture and you're like, oh, I want to read this. Ooh, that one verse. Maybe we can just skip those few verses in the middle and then keep going. Like people don't realize that we skip stuff. I mean, (laughs) here's a key, y'all. If you're in a sermon and the preacher's jumping around, read those passages in your spare time. (laughs) It's like in Ruth, spoiler alert, where she's like lays with uh, Boaz, except Uh it's like in the threshing. It's a whole thing. And usually it's skimmed right over. It's totally skimmed over. And then it's like, she had a child. (laughs) Yep. I don't know how it happened. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, pastors, I mean, we're just as difficult as like the average person of skipping over things. For sure. Because they are difficult. It's confusing. So, I mean, we can answer this for ourselves, but why do you think people in general uh, skip over some of these harder passages? I think we're uncomfortable with it. Because I don't know that a lot of them have really great answers or really clear answers. Um, And so in my experience, especially working with youth, sometimes these difficult passages are things that have the potential of shaking your faith. Like, oh, I can't believe in Jesus because I don't know what to do with this passage. So they're kind of intertwined. So I really think in order, and I preach about this a little bit, in order to really engage with the text, you have to be in a pretty good place um, spiritually to really engage well with it instead of to be on the offense or kind of looking at how to attack it. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I think it, I think it does for sure. Um, I was teaching a class this past Sunday and I forgot what question I asked, but something about we were talking about how people can have different views, you know, especially with scripture. Right. And someone mentioned like, you know, some reason, one reason people don't either want to have conversations or maybe look at scripture differently is because they don't want to change their mind or they're scared to have their mind changed. And I was like, oh, and that's, I think we see that in some other traditions, maybe sometimes that don't encourage to 
ask hard questions or look at a bunch of different commentaries. I mean, there's some, you know, unfortunately there are some churches where the pastor's like, you listen to me and what I say goes, which is so <laughs> like, oh, not good. Um, and so people are like literally scared to like explore or maybe push back. Yeah. Or they've already heard an interpretation on it. And so that is the truth, mm-hmm. which is also can be problematic. Yeah. Yeah. It's scary as a, as a pastor, as someone that preaches that like some people are like, well, you said it and I remember it. And you're like, that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> Man, I was, is, like, I was just talking. I was just talking. I mean, obviously that's good. Sometimes you want them to listen, but them to like take exactly how you interpret it and how you have come to conclusion. I don't know. It's just always very intimidating, especially with the kind of passages we're covering the next few weeks for sure. Yeah, definitely. Hopefully. I mean, I think both you and Chris did such a good job of opening up the series to teach people how to read the Bible. And neither one of you were like, with this particular story in Genesis, we're like, this is the way it is. Or like, you have to believe what I think. Like, I think you both did such a good job of giving um, authority and freedom for people to kind of figure it out for themselves a little bit. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? Yeah. I just think that is part of our Methodist tradition, you know? So I think it, I love when Chris and I say similar things in our sermons because it just shows how our theology is lined up. Yeah. We're going to have different antidotes and different kind of takes occasionally, but like, um, as Methodists, we really believe you should engage in the text. And if we truly believe that, then we can't say this is the only way (laughs) you should read the Bible. Uh, yeah. Because it's going to differ between all of us. And that's beautiful. Mm-hmm. That's how we learn. Yeah. Okay. So I want to read part of your, like, kind of the opening of your sermon because it was great. So I'm going to read for a while. So buckle up. Uh, during this series, I want to encourage all of us to seriously consider our answer as to what role the Bible plays in our lives. The Bible is extremely important. That is probably widely accepted among most of us, but each of us are going to have our own ideas surrounding the Bible and the content inside. And let me say right here, just like with pretty much everything we talk about, we are going to have different ideas. We are going to have different beliefs about this, and it is okay. It is okay if one of us reads scripture literally and someone else has a non-literal reading for some of it, but it's important for all, for us to all know what we believe. Maybe this is something you've never really thought about, or you've never had language for it. Maybe for others of you, this is going to be a bore because you know exactly what the Bible is and a role it plays in your life. I hope for each of us in every stage of Bible discovery that we feel encouraged to think critically about scripture today and that we each walk away learning something we maybe didn't know before. That was really good. <laughs> like, Thanks. I just think it was very pastoral. It was a very pastoral response. Um, there was no sense of shame or like guilting or wagging fingers or trying to like correct people, which I think you could, we could easily go into this series and like, well, let me tell you why what you've thought about the scripture all along is wrong. (laughs) 
And I feel like you just set it up really well. So why do you think it was important for you personally to say that, like from the very beginning, the top of your sermon? Yeah. So for me, when I preach, I want to know my audience. Uh, I want to know the congregants, uh, which I know the people out there. We're we're together pretty regularly on Sunday mornings. But I also want to leave space for people who I don't know are out there. Um, And so maybe if someone has walked in their very first Sunday um, and they have haven't been to church in a long time for whatever reason. Um, maybe they grew up, maybe they went away, maybe they've never been, period. I want them to feel like this is something that is important for them. And on the same exact hand, I want the person who comes to church every single Sunday to still get something out of it too. And so I feel like by kind of laying these ground rules that it's okay to come in with whatever you believe, I just want people to be open to hearing what I have to say um, and what I believe God has to say to each of us. Uh, So that's kind of how I enter every sermon. And I love when I get to actually say that, Mm -hmm. not just kind of imply it, but to, I mean, this is a first sermon of the series. So it was a good reason uh, to have to kind of say, hey, we're going to start this all on the same footing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was great. And then you went on a little bit later to say, The beautiful thing is that there's not an absolutely wrong way to read the Bible. I feel like you might make some people mad with that statement. Yeah. And now I'm thinking like, well, if you think the Bible tells you to hate people, it's probably a wrong way to read the Bible. So maybe that was a more of a sermon statement. Don't quote that to your friends. But I I think, I think it, so for me, I said it with the intention of giving people, um, permission to go into the Bible, however they need to enter it. So I made a joke about in middle school, how I would open the Bible and just point and read a mm -hmm. passage, which I'm sure a lot of students, maybe adults relate to or grown adults (laughs) (laughs) because you're just so desperate for something. Um, and so I don't doubt when some people do that. They are given a message. I never was. It was always like something like Noah lived 500 years. <laughs> it's like, don't know what that has to say to me in this situation about this boy who doesn't like me that I like, but thank you. <laughs> um, I think the point, though, is that in those moments, we are going to scripture, which is important. There's beauty mm-hmm. in that. Um, so, but yes, I understand that that could make some people mad. People probably think I read the Bible wrong. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Like, there's plenty of people that think we read, like, you or me read the Bible wrong. You know, biggest thing is, like... We're pastors. We're pastors, so that's wrong. Um, Yep. But I do think there's some people that, again, probably do hear a message on Sunday morning, like, if you read it like this, you are wrong. Like, there is a wrong way to read this. And I think we do it in a more lovingly... (laughs) way like there may be some things that we correct but there's a lot of things that we don't have the authority to correct or we don't literally have the knowledge to correct I mean we don't have the evidence and so like to say I know exactly what this writer meant for this time and it's it it completely transfers to now in 2022 like it's a tough sell yeah. yeah. Um, and so, I do think that most of us would say we could probably read the Bible better 
that that was my goal yeah. is to show like we could all do better probably. Yeah. Um, and so what does that mean? What does that look like? But I don't want to scare people off from even trying to read the Bible yeah. by saying, here's the wrong way to do it. <laughs> no, I think you raise a really good point. We could, we could, we could be better at, at that. And I think that means for all of us, um, those that have gone to seminary and, and whatever, like we could all dive into some more difficult passages. We could all look at some different commentary. Like I know that you and I and, and Chris and others, like we're trying to expand uh, who we're listening to, who we're reading, because sometimes you just like, you're just hearing from the same voice. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Same, um, just like this week, you, you and Chris ended up reading from a Jewish study Bible rather than our usual NRSV because you want a, a little bit different perspective, a little bit different translation. And I think that's what we need to do too, to read the Bible. Um, especially when it comes to like different commentaries or different writers is like, find someone that lives a completely different experience than you and see how they interpret it. For sure. And I just don't think we do that enough because it is, it is time consuming. It is. I'll, I'll get at, you know, but I think that would probably help us read it, read it better. Yeah. I will say in my experience, so I grew up in the Methodist church, um, but I listened to most of my every week pastors were males. Um, most were white males. And so they just preached. And while they were all different from one another, um, it was one way of preaching. And so for me, as I've become a preacher who's preaching every single week, I've tried to be intentional about listening to sermons from people of color, listening to women, um, even just within the Methodist realm. They all have different takes. And so that's so fruitful. And so if we can get that just from listening to different sermons, of course, we can get that from listening to different or reading different translations of the Bible or commentaries, just different takes in general that can really give us more insight in general. Oh, yeah, um, definitely. Uh, you also say a little bit later in your sermon how we don't believe everything has been said or taught on what the Bible has to offer. So what does that mean about the Bible? What were you saying? <laughs> yeah, you say that because, I mean, we preach the Christmas story every single year at Christmas. <laughs> Clearly, huh. we think there's something new to glean from that or else we wouldn't do it, right? I mean, there's something in tradition. But also, I think as a preacher on Christmas Eve, we hope to bring something new to the table too. And so for me, what it says about the Bible is that the Holy Spirit is working that the Bible is still, it's a living thing. In my life, the Bible is a living thing. It's not just mm -hmm. like um, my favorite book on the shelf. Instead, this is something that changes um, regularly. Yeah. So talk about that. Is that, because um, that can like scare people and they're like, no, the Bible is bound in like time. There's nothing that changed. <laughs> but for us, we read it as Methodists. I mean, we do believe it's just living the Holy yeah, Spirit yeah. breeze. And there's some historical accounts in it, for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but maybe for you, like, haven't you read some scripture and got so much meaning out of it and interpreted it, but then when you read it, like, five years later, it was different. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Because and we're so all in different places. 
you know yeah. i think because humans change and the world changes then it is fair to assume that scripture how we interpret it at least is also going to change i understand if my great 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 grandson reads the ceb version of the bible it's probably going to look a lot like what i read literally word for word mm -hmm. however the way he interprets it could be a lot different i hope is a lot different than the way we do Mm -hmm. Just for the sake of evolving and learning new things and the relevance it still has even in the future. Yeah. Um, and so that would touch into the like experience, the, the quadrilateral of how we read it. Right. Yeah. Did you, how did you learn the quadrilateral, Reagan? Uh, I honestly probably did not learn it until I was a youth director. Yeah. And I was teaching, confir teaching confirmation. <laughs> so I was like, 30 <laughs> love it um because yeah I didn't grow up Methodist and so I had never uh you know I grew up Presbyterian loosely and then I didn't I was non-denom all through like college and like early 20s and so I definitely uh I just read the Bible like as it was right. I might read different translations but I definitely wasn't digging into like commentaries or looking at other sources like I was kind of taught for a while that like you don't look anywhere else but the bible to under like you should it should just be revealed to you which there is so much revealed through the power of the for holy sure. spirit yes when you read don't want to discount that but there's a lot of things that I'm like uh <laughs> at that time I I feel like I need more so I didn't have a lot of um, questions answered. Honestly, I probably was scared to ask questions. Um, and again, that's why I love the Methodist church is like, no, let's ask questions. Like it's encouraged. <laughs> right. Well, and, and the fact like we may not find answers <laughs> that are satisfying yes. or what we're looking for, which is a big part of this too. Yeah. And I think that sometimes that drives people a little crazy and drives them away from faith when they can't make sense of everything. And so maybe that's why, Another reason we avoid maybe difficult passages is because there's no clear answer some most of the time. And some people just, that just does not sit well with them. I'm no, totally fine. it can fine. wreck their whole faith. <laughs> right. I mean, I've, I, I've arrived I where I'm like, you know, I'm pretty okay not knowing everything. Like, I'm very secure that God is God and I don't know as much. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so quadrilateral. Yeah. If you're so, like, y'all keep using this word. We don't know what that is. Yeah. So it was, I mean, so John Wesley, the founder of Methodism, like kind of coined it, but I don't think he used the exact terms. Was it more like Albert Outler who like. Outler's who coined it. And Outler lived in the 1900s. So like whole yeah. different world than Wesley. Whole different world. Yeah. yeah. But he used kind of what Wesley, um, he put what Wesley had into a word. So we could all use it easier. Yeah. I don't know. He kind of made it complicated if we really want to get into it because a quadrilateral is four equal sides. <laughs> uh, and that would just suggest that scripture is just as important as the other three. So there are a lot of other uh, analogies out there. Can you tell I've caught, taught confirmation for a really long time? Yes. yes. Uh, why, don't you, why don't you talk it? You know it. <laughs> yeah. So the quadrilateral is reason, 
and tradition and experience and the fourth or the first really is scripture. So that's part of it too. Um, But instead of a quadrilateral, I've heard of using it like a stool where scripture is like the part you sit on and then the three legs are under it, which I don't love um, because then it seems like like, that's sturdy, a three-legged stool. That's not sturdy. You know, they're equally placed around the circle. It's sturdy. But the thing I don't like about it is if you take those three away, the scripture falls, Um, which Mm. it's just a kind of blunt image. So instead, I like the image of um, a wind chime. The base of the wind chime is scripture. So it's holding all the pieces together. And then the chimes, reason, tradition, experience. We can do this. And the Holy (laughs) Spirit blows through those three making beautiful music because the Holy Spirit is working even in those things. Okay. Okay. That's my analogy. But do we want to talk about all the different parts of the quadrilateral? I mean, I think it it would be good. Scripture, number one. We already talked about scripture. Yeah. Then tradition. Tradition. Yeah. Uh, tradition. I always think of that. Fiddler on the roof. Always. Yep. Um, so tradition has a few different things behind it. It can mean kind of like the history of our beliefs um, or like this is what the church has always believed about this or our understanding. So say you read a passage about the Holy Spirit, we can kind of look to like the articles of faith or the creeds of the church and see the history of what we believe about the Holy Spirit. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you have yeah. anything to add about that? Also like hymns or like those are traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I love that, um, you know, we're in a weird place of the Methodist Church is looking for this new era, like, yeah. but there's plenty of people, including young clergy. I think sometimes young clergy are like, oh, you just want to leave all tradition behind and just start something new. And we're like, no, no, no like we're Methodist. We, <laughs> we are methodical people. <laughs> and so, yeah, I mean, a lot uh stands on tradition and i don't want to i don't want to lose and that's why i'm like let's stay together we can do it because i don't want to i want to feel like we're losing anything um so yeah tradition is very very important if we're not looking to what we've done before yeah we're really missing out i agree um and the reason would be the next one i don't know that there's a real order but reason is one of them and that's not checking your brain out the door It's thinking Mm -hmm. critically for yourself. If you read something, ask, what does it mean to say this? Um, Or what is the context around it? Let's like use our brains to kind of put ourselves in the shoes of when this was written and to even challenge ourselves. Okay. Is there something we can learn today from this? All of that for me is part of reason. Yeah. And then we have experience. Makes sense. What? What baggage do you bring in to your scripture Mm -hmm. reading? Yeah. Because we all have have our own experiences. Right. What have you encountered? I mean, I know I read scripture a lot. Some of those maybe difficult passages based on my experience of relationships with people. uh, That helps me look at it differently. Um, So, yeah. Do you, are you familiar with, uh, Adam Hamilton's like his three ways of looking at scripture. Mm, Tell me more. His three buckets. That sounds familiar, but I'd love to hear your take on it. So it's it's featured, I believe, in his Making Sense of the Bible book that he wrote. I mean, it's been several years, but um, 
We have it in the library for those we interested. Do. He kind of puts scripture in three categories. Scriptures that express God's heart, character, and timeless will for human beings. Scriptures that expressed God's will in a particular time, but are no longer binding. Hmm. And then scriptures that never fully expressed the heart, character, or will of God. Dang, that's deep. Yeah. Do you imagine um, reading a passage and then thinking, okay, which of these buckets does it fit in? Uh-huh. It's great. That's a great tool. Yeah, I think it's a really, really helpful tool um, because there are some things that, like, I know that I read scripture. I'm like, that is not the God I know. Like, I don't think someone got creative with a pen. <laughs> right? Um, and so, yeah. But I, I love that. Yeah. That thank you for sharing that. I think that's a great. Visual. That really helps people realize why, like, yeah, scripture is important, but there's some that kind of out, I hate to say outweigh, but like, I think there are some scriptures that like the core identity of what you believe, like you should have those. Yeah. I mean, that's what our confession of faith says is that the Bible yeah. contains everything essential to salvation. So yeah, we think those pieces about salvation are the most important, right? Yeah. It's part of what we believe. Okay. Um, so I need to talk about the scripture. We haven't even done that yet. The Genesis Welcome to six. the whole sermon. <laughs> the whole sermon. I feel like it was in. like, also, here's the scripture. <laughs> but okay. So I confessed this to Chris yesterday and like my uh, check-in with him. Oh my gosh. That, confess to me. Yeah. That when I've read this. I completely missed that it was like angels and humans having kids, having babies. Hmm. Did you always understand that? Am I just so, the idiot? <laughs> Reagan, I can't say that I have ever paid this particular passage that much thought. Okay. I think typically I just read this and I'm like, all right, let's get to the flood story. <laughs> Like, this is just okay. something I didn't understand, the details. I didn't know what Nephilim was, capital yeah. N. I don't know what this word means. Um, so I'm with you. Yeah, it's it's kind of the opening act, like the opening act of the opening act to someone that you really want to see in concert. Yes. You don't really, you're there, but you're not well, really there to. And it doesn't really help that it comes after this really long lineage so it's mm -hmm. all of the lineage from, like, Adam to Noah, which is a lot of boring names. And then you get, I mean, very that important names, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Methuselah is on there. Who else? Kenan. Jared? Who knew there was a Jared Who in knew? Genesis? Very <laughs> biblical. Jared's out there. Uh, and then all of a sudden you get this really weird passage that we just read. And then it's like, okay, back to the flood. This is my comfort. You know, this is what I grew up with. I can do this. Yeah. So for me, I kind of skimmed over it if I'm going to also confess. Yeah. But I guess, so I'm I'm looking at the NRSV, which I know I, you all didn't, you didn't read, but I guess when I read the sons of, this is verse two, so six, mm -hmm. two, the sons of God saw that they were fair. They took wives for themselves. I guess I just read it as human because I'm like, oh, I'm a, I'm a daughter of God. <laughs> Or, you know, so I didn't read it as 
what is the what does the Jewish Bible say? Is what did you all the divine being saw how beautiful the daughters of men were? Yeah, so that's a little bit more crystal clear. Yeah, I'm trying to think. Common English says something too. One of them actually says angels, I think. But regardless. This is just the, uh, a pastor confessing that I totally missed. This. this is what happens when you don't think. Right. So that's why you should use your brain when you're. Use your brain. But also, if you skim over it, it's not yeah. wrong. We've all been there. Um, okay. So why don't you share the Sarah? Well, first of all, um, you share a quote from Sarah Bessie. Tell us briefly who she is and what quote, what did she say? Why did you use it? Yeah, so Sarah Bessie is an author. I would argue that she is a theologian, but I don't know yes. that she would say that about herself. She's pretty mm-hmm. humble. I think she would say she's a writer, blogger. She's Canadian, so she's totally humble. She is. Canadians are so sweet. They're nice. Yep. They have sweaters and tea <laughs> and hockey. These are things maple, I know about. Canada. Maple syrup. <laughs> I'm reading a book series all set in Canada. If anybody's interested, hit me up. I'll tell you about it. I'll recommend it. Um, Okay. So she has been doing this, like this series called back to the bonfire where she's talking about really complicated things. So she has a whole one on hell, but then she did a ask me anything. And so one of the questions somebody had, they said, this is the question they submitted on Instagram to Sarah Bessie stories like Ananias and Sapphira, that one I mentioned earlier, And then they put dot, 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 thoughts, (laughs) Uh, which is amazing that somebody just submitted that. And so Sarah Bessie said, I'm not quite sure if you're asking specifically about that story or more generally about reading stories in the Bible that perplex, offend, or worry us, Uh, which I thought all of this was really good, but I didn't want to, I was quoting a lot in my sermon, so I didn't want (laughs) to. drop this on everyone. Uh, But then she goes on to say, I've found that rather than trying to explain away with chirping, God's a mystery. When something appears monstrous, it's worthwhile to interrogate the story or the way I've understood it or been taught about it. Then she lists some really helpful people she's used to look at text. And the bold part is what I quoted in my sermon. If a story upsets or disrupts you, let it disrupt you. It should, but then get curious. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if we're still in our confessional booth, I often live into the mystery of God, the mystery of scripture, the mystery of not knowing God's plans. And I'm very comfortable in the mystery. So I will say that uh, when she said she doesn't like to say God is a mystery when (laughs) facing hard stuff, I was like, oh, maybe I need to reassess my take on that, you know? Yeah. Um, But I... I can't agree more with her that when we do read those terrible things, we can't just shrug or skim over it, uh, that it's important to get curious and to really get into the meat of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I thought that was a great quote. And thank you for sharing the, the fuller context. That was, that was all good. Um, she's Sarah Bessie, someone that I really respect a lot because she's been able to, she's a part of the Evolve Faith, which is a big conference that she and the late Rachel Held Evans kind of founded and they've just created a really wonderful space for people to come to with hard like questions or those that have struggled or been hurt by the church and still find really deep faith. So I, I like her a lot. Um, 
So with this passage with Genesis, how did you use the quadrilateral? What did you, I mean, what did you come up with at the end of it? (laughs) It's a mystery. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, So I think I'm actually going to tag some of what Chris said in his sermon because he brought up, does this story impact our faith? Is that what he said? Does that sound right? Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. Um, so I think that's why I was so pushing everyone to kind of come up with words for their belief about scripture, because I think that is the important part here. What does this story mean in relation to you? Do you need to know about these divine beings and the giants? Cause that's what Nephilim means is giants. <laughs> like, is that important to who you are or Um, Is it important that we kind of understand the context? We understand that it comes from these myth stories that were really prevalent in the time that you can actually trace historically. Um, And not to say that myths are fake or real or whatever, but they just are a way of explaining what is to come. And so if you see it in the context of the flood that's coming, um, it could be helpful to explain, okay, God saw the world was evil. Here's some examples of that. Um, So I I don't know is my answer to this question. I don't always know what to do with texts like this, but I think that it's important for people to know that, that we don't have to know everything, but we can still kind of use our brains to assess and to see what it means for us in our faith. Yeah. Yeah. I think Chris kind of said, you know, is this passage needed? Are you like, do you need to believe it to have salvation? Basically, I think. And he was like, no. <laughs> so I appreciated, appreciated that. Sorry if I misquoted you, Chris. <laughs> I guess I could have looked Me at you. Me too. <laughs> but that's what my takeaway was. Um, that is what the people heard. Yep. Um, okay. Lastly, I kind of, I would love for you to read the write-up that the young clergy, the uh, group that you're in, what you all wrote about scripture. Cause I thought it was really, really well written. Yeah. So we wrote this and it, Um, it's kind of based on some stuff that's already found in the United Methodist Book of Discipline, but updated and kind of with more um, inclusive language, we hope. So this is what it says. As we encounter the word of God through the words of human beings inspired by the Holy Spirit, we acknowledge that it is impossible to interpret scripture in a vacuum. Faithful Christians properly read scripture within community. Likewise, we claim no authority over scripture, but rather humbly open ourselves to be transformed by the truth of the biblical message. Yeah, that's good. So, yeah. So how many of you are kind of worked on that? So there, yeah, there are 15 of us that are active in the small group um, and two kind of took it upon themselves to kind of play around with language for that. No, I, I don't know that for one thing that makes me hopeful and excited about being in covenant with other young clergy that like, you know, it doesn't take away the importance of scripture. doesn't take away the Holy spirit that we clearly still uphold with reverence and respect. Um, but in a, I don't, want, I don't know if I want to say a gentler way, but like acknowledging our shortcomings and how like we don't possess all the knowledge. Yeah. We claim no authority over yeah. scripture. That's humbling. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, okay. Anything else you wanted to talk about with this sermon? No, I just want to encourage people that it's okay to ask questions. That's always like my takeaway from stuff like this is that I want people to know it's okay to critically engage with scripture um, and to not do it by yourself, to do it with others, to ask people their takes, um, not to just take their takes as your own, but to really share and learn from one another. Um, that's what we all do here. I don't write these sermons in a corner by myself, <laughs> just with scripture. I use commentary. I use uh, people. I ask questions. Um, and I think that's important for all of us in our faith. Yeah, absolutely. Did you text um, ask people, any other clergy, like, hey, have you preached on this sermon before? <laughs> no, because I'm sure the answer is no. Nobody preaches uh, on this. Yep. Uh, spoiler alert, what I'm preaching this next week, I te I texted a lot of clergy. What did they say? And not a single person has ever preached on it. <laughs> they mainly were like, ooh, how'd you get that scripture? <laughs> I'm so glad this is the week you chose. It's going to be great. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, no, this has been great talking with you. I'm excited for the rest of this series and hopefully it does give permission and freedom to our congregation and, and listeners to, um, explore scripture in a new way and dig deep and, uh, and no one to say it's a mystery and no one to say, huh, I want to actually, I think there's some more here. Yeah. Um, and knowing, yeah. And live and being okay living with that tension as well. Well, everyone stay healthy. I think it's supposed to be cold the rest of the week, so stay warm. And uh, we look forward to everyone joining us for week two for I'm Sorry What? And Reagan's going to be in the hot seat. Yep, I will be. So looking forward to that. Well, God bless, and we look forward to being with you next week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Off Script. You can visit cumc.com backslash podcasts in order to see all of the series we have available. Like, subscribe, and follow us so that you don't miss a single episode. Thank you for supporting us. Have a great week.